0: Welcome to FASD HOPE, a podcast about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder through the lens of parent advocates with over 21 years of living experience. FASD HOPE provides awareness, information, and inspiration to those people whose lives have been touched by FASD. And I'm the host of FASD HOPE, Natalie Beck-Young. Welcome to today's episode. Thanks for joining us today the Center for Better Beginnings is proud to support the FASD community as an official sponsor of the RUN FASD 2023 Virtual 5K. Led by Dr. Kenneth Jones and Dr. Christina Chambers, the Center for Better Beginnings at UC San Diego brings together multiple maternal and child health programs that focus on the identification, prevention, and treatment of birth defects. The center is home to the Institute of Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorders, DISCOVERY, an integrative program that provides education, screening, and research on fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. This September, Our center staff will unite in a walk to raise awareness about FASD. Over the last 50 years since the discovery of FASD, we've learned so much, but let's go further. Let's change the conversation and let's stamp out stigma. Follow at UCSDCBB or use the hashtag StampOutStigma for more information and pictures. And now, today's episode of FASD Hope. Welcome to today's episode of FASD Hope. I am so thrilled to have today's guests, one of whom is returning, one of whom is new, Dr. Jessica Rutherford is in the UK, and Ailsa Clark is in Scotland. So, um, we are talking today about what's happening in England and Scotland with regards to uh, FASD um, education, FASD organization and advocacy, and any updates. Um, just a little note that um, Claire Devaney Glynn really wanted to be here today, but and all you listeners know life happens. And and we will probably jump down that rabbit hole during this conversation. But so we miss Claire. We love you, Claire. And we're sending hugs. And uh, we will carry on this conversation with Dr. Jessica Rutherford and Ailsa Clark. Ailsa and Jessica, welcome to FASD Hope. Hi, thank you.
1: Hi, lovely to be here.
0: So we're going to have a conversation today about a few um, topics that I think are important um, to highlight what's been happening in the UK and Scotland. First, we're going to get an update because it's been a couple of years, uh, Jessica and I were figuring out, it's been a couple of years since we chatted. So uh, I'd like Jessica to update us about what's happening Congratulations on your PhD! We are all here in the states, just so thrilled for you, and so thrilled that you are such a champion in the field of FASD. So, we would like to start with you, Jessica. Um, an update: what you've been doing, your research, your work, and your new work with the National Organization for FASD.
1: Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, finally finished and graduated. <laughs> That feels, um, it doesn't feel real, actually. It was a very, very long time coming. I started in October 2015, and um, I I feel like that was an absolute lifetime ago. Um, interestingly, I had never heard of FASD when I started, and somehow along the way, not only evolved all of my research to focus on FASD, but also kind of made a career out of working in this area as well, so... Um, it's been a fantastic journey. It's been very hard. Um, and, you know, I, I did it part time. So I did it alongside working. I self-funded because, well, we know how <laughs> funding goes for FASD research and everything else. Um, so it's been a struggle. It's been an uphill battle. There's been an awful lot of learning. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm really, really pleased to be at the end of it, but also feel slightly lost without it.
0: I can imagine. And I know your um, your work really focused on education and the educational mm-hmm. component, as well as the diagnostic component of FASD. So tell me, before we start updating on what you're doing now, tell me just some nuggets of of information you really want to communicate in your journey, that was an eight-year journey you took in getting mm-hmm. your 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 doctorate. What are some important things that you learned that you want to share with our listeners along the way? Oh, um,
1: I probably wouldn't recommend doing a, a part-time PhD through a global pandemic and having two children.
0: Yes. <laughs> um, Talk about multitasking,
1: Jessica. Yeah, that was um that was really interesting. I I actually submitted a month after my daughter turned one and four days before my son was born. Oh my
0: goodness.
1: Yeah, when people do the maths, I sort of get some funny looks. Um but um yeah, things that I learned along the way. Um my my background, my academic background was in um animation and um like moving visuals motion graphics all of that kind of thing how I ended up in FASD I I I have no idea it was a very strange path but um what I learned along the way is how much how valuable the the process of filmmaking can actually be when we break down um a narrative and start looking at storytelling as um a form of education in through through tactile means as well so not just uh, that spoken stories and um and that that verbal communication and it was it was through that that it all kind of pieced together with everything that I learned about FASD and everything I learned about education and and not even specifically FASD but any um individual with a, a neurodiversity who is, is trying to figure out a way to, to piece everything together in their own way of understanding something. And I think uh, this is something that, that Elsa will touch on as well, because my work is very, very theory-based and I'm all about the books and the research, whereas Elsa is actually putting a lot of this into practice and working directly with students where she's trying to guide them through piecing these puzzles together. So I have just adopted one tool with which there will be many, 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 and that tool is is filmmaking, specifically animation filmmaking, and um, yeah, just so I, I sort of created a program, and uh, I'm I'm now searching to further that research. Really, I want um like an opportunity to start
0: to start putting that in practice. Wow, I'm so happy to hear that everything has come to fruition and that mm-hmm. your journey's completed. And I know last time we talked, Jessica, when we talked with Claire about the educational component in and especially getting that implemented, we we were just talking before we started recording about getting that out into the world. Let's talk about that for a second before we dive into um your, your current work because we want people to know that this program, this amazing program, this uh, this research that you you've conducted and you know the what you have behind it this is ready to launch and that we need it to launch so let's talk about that for a minute yeah so I,
1: like you said Natalie it's it's ready to go i'm i'm just searching for some some sort of postdoctoral opportunity what i really really hope to do is to be associated to an institution um some university somewhere in the world and uh, do this with very much of a, a research focus rather than just implementing it and, and seeing how it goes I want to make sure that it's it's properly researched and we're really looking at the outcomes and the level of engagement and everything is measured because um, because it won't be right this is you know it's the first iteration of this program and whilst I have no doubt that uh, children and young people will engage with it and enjoy it um you know these things have to evolve and they have to adapt so I do want to make sure that it's um implemented sort of under um research criteria and research boundaries but what what I'm looking for now is is that that postdoctoral fellowship um research opportunity whatever that looks like and then some schools, some some schools with with kiddos who are looking to implement this in classrooms and just have some fun and try something different. And and I think that's what it is. Really, it's it's schools just opening their doors and being open to trying something that is a little bit out of the box. Um,
0: a little which bit which we again, have to you know? which we have to think about when we're on this on this journey, this mm-hmm. FASD journey. Is it's completely out of the box, and you have to. Totally adjust your expectations and even sometimes just let go of expectations and and educate and learn in a completely different way. So this is a call to action. We'll probably have a few. This is a call to action. If anyone has heard Dr. Jessica Rutherford and you are affiliated with a university or you're affiliated with an institution, Please get in touch with her, and I will be sharing her contact information and the work that she's doing so that you can get in touch with her. If you know of anyone who has funding, and, hey, you have a grant and this wonderful grant, and I'd like to know what to do. I know the person to talk to, Dr. Jessica Rutherford. So that's one of the many reasons why I love doing FASD Hope is I have this global platform to say, do you need something? Let me share it with the world and hey, somebody. So we will be, of course, putting Dr. Rutherford's information, her contact information, her email and and her uh, connection with the National Organization for FAST, um in today's program notes. So now I, I'm done with that call to action. Also, don't worry, I will probably Thank have you. one for you, too. <laughs> so jessica let's talk about your current work now because now you're with the national organization for fasd in the uk let's talk about that
1: yeah so um an opportunity arose back uh earlier this year for me to join the national organization for, for fasd which is extremely exciting because it's it's our national organization you know um there is no other and I've worked in a few FASD related organizations now but there is no other other organization where the entire team is on the same page fighting for the same thing and um that's that's really special that's you know that feels like a a bit of a weight has been lifted because it means that we can come together and really push forward but I have been um I've been been hired to work on the education projects and I am currently looking to push out all of uh, the resources that have been developed. So we have a whole whole range of, of physical resources um, from um, games to uh, calming cards, like all these different resources, website and all the associated um, things. And we need to get them out there. We need to get them into the hands of children, young people and families, teachers, schools that that can use them. Um, they've been years and years and years in development and they've been developed by experts. We've had uh, expert committees reviewing them and import, inputting into all of the um, development of them. We've got uh, committees of young adults with FASD who've, who've shared their um, opinions and experiences. So there's loads and loads and loads gone into these. So now uh, it's, it's my job, I guess, um, to to really get them out there and uh I'm I'm ready to start knocking on the doors of schools to be
0: honest because <laughs> it's uh it's Would not you, so easy we do have you know quite a few listeners in the UK too so if you're listening in the UK and you have a school that you're aware of that can use it that can benefit from this wonderful FASD program, which in here in the United States we're interested. We've been in contact. I know FAST United has been in contact with you, Jessica, about you know learning more to see how this this program can be used. You know, um, in our schools as we push for mm-hmm. legislation too. So again, if you're listening, I, I I'm so happy to give a platform to Dr. Rutherford because. This is so important and we know as parents, and this is a great segue to, to shift into um, our conversation with Ailsa, um, we know as parents that the younger we start the accommodations, the younger we start the adjustment in education and, and expectations and the focus on strengths and supporting needs and recognizing things that, um, for example, the lapse in work and memory, when we start recognizing those earlier, then as early as we can, then we are able to s- establish more protective factors for our children as they age and become older. And we know, Elsa's nodding her head yes, and, and she and I know that as our children get older, you know, here in the States, and I'm sure it's pretty much everywhere Um, as our children become teens and become young adults and adults, the opportunities lessen and, and that should not happen. You know, we, we know that especially as that chronological age and developmental age widen, that gap widens, that there needs to be more supports, you know, not, not fewer. So the important, I think, takeaway, one of the many important takeaways, Jessica, I'm hearing is that we really need to get, this program and this, um, these strategies out into the schools, into, you know, institutions, into communities, into organizations. So I'm really, really happy because when we first talked, gosh, back in 2020, this was, you know, things were just still in development. It was so exciting. And now it's, it's done. It's ready to be launched. So I love that. Oh my goodness. That's fantastic. Elsa. I'm so pleased to meet you. I'm so happy to meet you. And we had such a nice conversation before we started recording. We have a lot of similarities in our um, rural, very um, outdoors, very nature-based lifestyle, you know, and um, we have a lot of similarities in our FASD journey. So before we start talking about your initiative, which is Valiant Minds Education, I'm so excited to share that. Can you share a little bit about you and your family's journey?
2: Yeah. So um, we are a family of three um, based in Scotland. Um, Myself, my husband and my little boy, who's now 10. um, We adopted him when he was nine months old and um, knew nothing about FASD. And we knew that he'd been exposed to drugs in utero, but there was no mention of alcohol. Um, and um, after a year of adoption leave, I returned to my job as a high school teacher, um, but only lasted a couple of years before things started to become quite difficult. Um, with nursery, with childminder, there were there were behaviours that people didn't seem to understand. You know, you, you know the script; <laughs> it's a familiar so if one. You,
0: if you're listening, mm-hmm. everybody, Ailsa um, and I, we've experienced what we call the phone call you know, phone we call it and it's in quotes, the phone call, you know, mm-hmm. Mrs. Vecchione, Mrs. Clark, you need to come mm-hmm. pick up your son. You need to, you know, and, and it's the mm-hmm. call that it's just like, there goes the rest of the day in the evening, because mm-hmm. you know, when you get that call from a provider, from a carer, from a teacher saying you need to come get your child, mm-hmm. then it, it, it's, it's so mm-hmm. frustrating, you know, exactly. not only for you, but imagining you know for your child
2: mm-hmm. yeah I mean for me he, he wasn't he wasn't taken out and I, I didn't have to come and pick him up but it was the walk of shame to the head teacher's office yes um yes. multiple times a week oh, um my goodness. and, and you, you, it will be familiar to so many of your listeners who are parents that call kind of this is a parenting deficit you know he was adopted as a baby anything that's wrong with him yeah I, w- I wouldn't
0: even bother repeating it. Um, and that, so I took a 10 to year break. And that emphasis, yeah. Elsa, what you just called it, the walk of shame. Mm. Our children should not have to mm. have that because this is a brain-based mm. whole body diagnosis. This is a brain-based whole body disability. They would not mm. make another child with a different diagnosis have what we call the walk of shame. However, because this is almost always an invisible disability. And because so many people in the community think of this as a behavior willful rather than my brain is not able to um, meet that expectation, then we get shamed. And then Mm -hmm. here comes the secondary characteristics and here comes that. I'm sorry, I just, you know, this will resonate with so many of our listeners Mm -hmm. because they've experienced it. And they know it, you know, mm-hmm. and, and unless you're living in this journey, you really don't understand. Or unless, like Jessica, you have dove into this journey, you know, head mm-hmm. first, you really don't understand that, you know, in camps, in, you know, uh, schools, in community centers, when you get that call, whether it be to pick them up or just to say, oh, it wasn't a good day or whatever, it, it really... It really reinforces that stigma that mm-hmm. our children should not have.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So
0: um, I had to take a career
2: break um, and fully expected to get a diagnosis for him. Oh, how naive I was. Um, and get back to work. Um, and I ended up resigning. Um little boy just needed me at the start and end of the day. Um, and this is where I guess our... Our journey would diverge a lot to the, the typical FASD journey in that he was diagnosed by the age of five. Um, um, first of all, with FASD um, and then with ADHD, which allowed us to get medication for him, which allowed him to succeed in school. Um, we had, by sheer luck, um, a very talented additional support for learning visiting teacher who put strategies in for him and um, a primary one teacher who was incredible she just did not give up she just didn't give up and to start with he couldn't even be in the classroom um and there were there was one day she sat there with tears in her eyes to me and, and said to me I can't meet his learning needs and I said well some days I can't meet his parenting needs but
1: come
2: on um and he had a really successful first year of primary um and since then there's been a change of head teacher Um, our head teacher now is very aware of neurodiversity very supportive of neurodiversity and he has gone from strength to strength in that school they don't necessarily know massive amounts about practical support of kids with FASD but I do now and they listen to me because I'm a teacher and a parent and between us we work very very well together to support him and he's now at a stage where he can advocate for himself as well he's self-aware and because he's grown up with these strategies and for the past few years he's grown up with me talking about FASD and training teachers about FASD and working with kids that have FASD so that's that's part of his vocabulary now so from that point of view it's it's fairly positive for us
0: it's wonderful, Elsa. Oh, my goodness. And your background as a teacher reinforces what we all parents have to do on this journey is become advocates. So you're mm-hmm. training in that. You understood the complexities in the educational system, you know, you understand that and learning about FASD, you're able to now educate not only as a parent educator, but as you know, you're training in your background as a professional educator. That's Mm -hmm. wonderful. And I love hearing, oh my goodness. I love hearing that he is 10 years old and he's advocating for himself. That is so important. So many guests have shared that when your child is able to advocate for themselves, that is a really big hurdle to overcome because so often our children just, they, they're not able to come up with you know, what they're feeling or what they need. So by you giving that tool to your son and teaching them and, and 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 modeling it. And that's something that needs constant modeling, especially as our children age and and then have more expectations, you know, in middle school and high school and beyond, and, and especially as adults, when you teach your loved one how to advocate, um, that is something that is it's empowerment for them. Mm-hmm. I, I think mm-hmm. that's, and yeah. so, so how has it, so now that you've seen that and and he's at this new stage where he's advocating for himself, tell me about that because I'm sure there are parents listening, thinking, Oh, I don't know if my child could ever do that. Tell me some of the changes you've seen in that. Elsa.
2: Some of the changes I've seen in him, he used to have a lot of, a lot of issues around transitions. Um, and not just big ones small ones finishing a task and moving on to the next um so I started asking him um oh actually I can go further back he he had quite a profound um I would say spe- speech disorder um and so he was very late to speak he's got developmental language disorder so the you know the gap between expressive receptive and um he I, I realized that a lot of his, a lot of his frustrations were due to a glacial um, processing speed because I would give him an instruction and he wouldn't act on it. And then I'd say it again and then he would get more heightened. And it was when he had enough speech to be able to say, mum, the way he explained it is, mum, I'm thinking about it and I'm going to do it. And if you say it again, I have to go all the way back to the start and start again. So it's it's he explained it like overwriting a system that was only halfway through its process. Um, so he was able to say, effectively there, I need more processing time. Now he can turn around in class and say, I need more processing time. An example of that would be once a week when they have a timed maths task. Now, my little boy is pretty, pretty decent at maths. Um, I know that that books the, the kind of prevailing belief about FASD is pretty, pretty good at maths. Um, but because of his processing speeds and because his working memory gets very easily overloaded, timed maths is difficult for him. And it appears on the board, the sum appears on the board for about 10 seconds and then fades and the next one appears and you know how much of a nightmare that is for somebody with FASD. Um, And he was able to say, I need more processing time. Um, And I said, okay, how about I said, what stresses you out about that? And he said, well, it's on the board and there's a timer and the timer stresses me out. And, and I said, okay, well, what could be the alternative? And we came up with, um, can he please have the sums written down on a piece of paper with a blank bit of paper over the rest so he can only see the one that he's working on? Really old school. Um, And can he have either half the sums or twice the, twice the time that other kids have? And so he was there then able to go in and say to the teacher, can we do this? Um, Or he will say it's too noisy in the classroom or he will say I need a movement break or, you know, he he can. He's able to articulate his anxieties on school trips now as well and work with his pupil support assistants to kind of think of a way that he can cope. I'm not saying he always does that. Of course, he doesn't, but but he's he's much better. Yeah, that and that is such a victory.
0: uh, Oh my goodness, that is such mm-hmm. a victory! Mm-hmm. Wow, and that is important. And that's again taking out of that stigma. You know, this is not something mm-hmm. you're 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 intentionally doing, but this is something your brain does. And recognizing it, you're you're giving him the tools to recognize and then to say, "This is what I need." That you know, this is what people, mm-hmm. this is what we all should do in any aspect of our life. Recognize, okay, there's something I need let me identify it and then here's what i need i am blown away elsa that he at at 10 is able to do that and I want to, I wanted you to share that because I want parents to have hope in that, you know, so often we get messages or emails from parents of like, say three, four year olds, like, oh my goodness, I'll never, you know, and it's like, no, if you stay the course, if you learn about FASD, if you become informed and educated, and if you teach your child how to advocate in his or her own time, Mm -hmm. then you will see progress and you do. do. Mm -hmm. And that's a classic example. Oh, Elsa, I love that. Oh my goodness. That is wonderful. Mm -hmm. So now let's talk about Valiant Minds Education because I know this is a big initiative and I'm so excited Mm -hmm. to share it. Oh, thank you.
2: Um, Yeah, it came about by accident. (laughs) I didn't plan it, so so jested her, her career trajectory and she worked towards it through pandemics and, and giving birth to children and all the rest of it. Um, I, um, I, f- I fell into this um, because of my, my colleagues in education. Um, shortly after I went on career break, um, the deputy head at my school where I worked says, we've got our first child who um, has come in age 11, foster care, um, has a diagnosis of FASD. We've never had this before. She seems to be coping OK. And I said, aha, wait till September. Um, and I I went in um, and I trained the staff and I worked alongside an amazing deputy. She's great. Um, she really wanted to support her, really wanted to know all about it. Um, and I worked alongside the, the young person as well. And um, we got strategies in place. We reduced her timetable. We had lots of visual stuff. She had her um her card that she could put down if if class was getting too much, um and um it's actually her foster carer's one of the testimonials on on my website, basically saying we had been told that we had this rude, destructive, often violent child and um she's still she's still in school she's come back for fifth year she's sixteen now. Um, And it's been a rocky road. It has been a rocky road. And she's had to really stick in. or foster carers have had to stick in. The school have had to have faith. But when they work together. You know, it's these these three groups of people, the kids themselves, the caregivers and the education staff. When they work together, amazing things can happen, which is why the the logo for Valiant Minds is a triangle, because it is one of the strongest structures that is.
0: And That is so important, Elsa, to remind listeners, whether you're a parent, whether you're a foster care, whether you're in the education field, that it is that triangle of the child, the caregiver, and whoever is the teacher, the educator. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to have, and I, I found this, you know, you have to have that buy-in from the child, Because Mm -hmm. if the child, you know, if you have the the educators, and then if you have the, you know, parents or caregivers, both in agreement, but the child doesn't agree, then it's not going to be successful. So they all need to work together. And these kids often
2: have high levels of anxiety. When they have high levels of anxiety, they exhibit high levels of control. And when their control is, I'm not doing it, you're not going to budge them. (laughs)
0: That is such Yes, that's so important. Yes, that is such an important point is that when the anxiety increases, so does the, I'm not going to let you do this okay. increase so okay. we need to recognize that and so let's talk about a few you mentioned some of the strategies that you incorporate let's talk about a few more before we um oh. before we share how you can get in touch and how you can support value minds wow
2: um okay so that oh where do you want me to start and <laughs> um, i've just finished developing um a series of modules for fasd new zealand actually so i can probably talk through a lot of a lot of what I've done because that is very practical based for educators for educational psychologists and it starts I guess with um the team around the child with the child as centre and actually really knowing that child's needs their sensory profile and um, any particular triggers they have what they what they like what their strengths are all these things that that we as caregivers know and the young people themselves know as well although they may not always have the language to articulate. Um, and actually getting in a room with a group of people and saying, okay, this, this is where we are. How are we going to make this work? What are the things we're going to focus on and having an individualized education plan um, that is supported by practical strategies, which I'll go on to talk about, and everybody being on the same page. And that that plan not just existing on paper because all too often that plan exists on paper and six months down the line we come back and we update the plan but it has to be something that is there. It's a living document an evolving document Um. so there's there's that aspect of it there's actually talking through the strategies with the young person what do they need where are the times in the day that they feel completely cognitively overloaded or the social um, times in the day where the wheels are likely to fall off because there's no adult supervision. Where is the where's the sensory input that's going to help them regulate? So, I'm not an occupational therapist, but um, we do a lot of sensory based stuff, and um, particularly proprioceptive work. So, um, pushing, pulling, heavy work because that's good for kids that are under stimulated and over stimulated. Um, they they can still reach the same level of arousal there the right level of arousal for learning that that kind of right that right space. Um, a lot of them are sensory seekers. So what I would say is you do your vestibular stuff. So you do your spinning, rocking, swinging, climbing, and then you do some heavy work to calm them, and then they can maybe learn. For how how long? Is 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 dependent on the child. Um, They're visual learners, they're kinesthetic learners. So adapting tasks to suit these, it might not be that they can demonstrate their learning best um, in written form. Um, But our education system is still very much exam-based here, Um, written exams. um, How else can we accommodate that child's learning style? Because we know that a lot of children with FASD are of average IQ, but they underperform in schools because there is a gap between what they can do and how people want them to demonstrate what they can do. Yes. So there's there's all of that, um, and things like individualized um, individualized timetables. So um, the last that I was supporting in in school, um, she had she dropped some of her subjects um, that would have been of no benefit to her at all and actually caused a lot of stress to her and there were discipline issues because of it Um, and we put in things like um, a college course for her in horse riding Um, and looking after horses. She she loves animals so that has really worked for her. Um, My own son, I had to say to school this year, this child is not going to learn French, this child could sit in a class for 20 years and not learn French. However, if you get him to bake the entire class a scone, he can do that. If you want to get him to go and plant a wildflower garden, he can do that. Um, so they, they started doing different individualized tasks for him, which actually the way it was structured was brilliant because it supported the sequencing, the executive functioning that is is quite often kind of lacking in our kids. So it always followed the same. We're going to research it. We're going to plan it. We're going to do it, we're going to evaluate it. And that whole cycle of learning built into it. So lots of lots of practical stuff and also lots of buddying. Um good peer role models who have been trained in supporting kids with FASD. Um and kids with FASD with appropriate modelling and support, buddying younger children as well. So they're actually part of that school community. They are actually Part and parcel, included and valued, rather than being add on.
0: I am going to promote this episode so heavily because people <laughs> need to hear that. People need to hear what Jessica and what Elsa and Claire are doing. This I'm taking notes because it's just it what you're doing, Elsa and Jessica. What you're making these strategies, these techniques. You're making them tangible for parents, for carers, for educators. You're making them so that you don't have, like you, you said that so brilliantly, El, so that that gap between what the child can do and what they're expected to do, it, it, it's there. And we need to bridge that gap. We Mm -hmm. need to close it. And that's where strategies and accommodations come in. And that's where how we need to rethink that child's education. So like what you were talking about with that girl, changing it and, and having her learn about horses and equestrian therapy. That is wonderful because we know, again, so many of our kids excel in things like, you know, animals, art, music, so many areas of their brain have what I like to say these superpowers where mm-hmm. their brain lacks in certain areas they shine in other areas and 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 that's what I'm hearing is that and especially that again we need to work as a team in that child's yeah. education and so often again I, I'm nodding my head when you're saying okay we all agree but is it happening it's is it's on paper but is it happening in in real life and unfortunately, often it's not so that's yeah. another reminder that it needs to be oh elsa that's wonderful so how can before we jump back to to dr rutherford i love saying that <laughs> before we do, jump back to jessica elsa how can people learn more about valiant minds
2: i've got a website so um it's um valiant um and everything is there so um i guess i, I set it up to bridge the gap between the, the the gulf of understanding basically between parents and teachers. There's a lot of mutual suspicion, <laughs> you know, between the two. And actually because I've got a fit in both camps, getting getting them on the same page and working together. Um yeah, so it's it's all there. Um what I do, um, blogs as well. So
0: So we'll be sharing that information, not only in today's program notes, episode notes, but in this week's social media posts, I'll be tagging Elsa and Valiant Minds Education. Um, And I'm just so happy to hear that this program is established and that Elsa, you have this wonderful, wonderful knowledge and living experience of as a teacher and as a parent, you know, which so many parents wish they had, you know, that how, how can I have a better educational experience for my child? So we will be tagging and sharing all of that wonderful information. And we're having a lot of fun in this conversation. So, you know, we'll have Elsa and Jessica and hopefully Claire back on our show again in early 2024 with an update. So now Jessica, let's come back to you and let's talk about the initiatives we were talking before recording about diagnostic criteria, th- things that any updates that are happening with FASD in the UK and Scotland. Well, I know
1: we spoke last time about the upcoming nice quality standards. Yes. Um, yes. They were definitely mentioned, but I don't believe that they had been released when we last spoke. Uh, they have now been released. Um, they, there was a delay due to COVID, but they are now in place. And the UK, or as well, England, Wales, um, are starting to take note. Slowly, um, it's one of those things. You know, when you work at that that very high level, it's going to take some time to trickle through. And, um, but it, it, you know, it's a fantastic starting point. Fantastic starting point, And they were built off the uh, the sign one five six diagnostic guidelines that Scotland um, released in uh, January twenty nineteen. I believe it was. Um, so thing things are definitely moving. Um, and you know, we we hope one day to be at the you know that that level of uh, that you're working to, the, you know, the FASD respect act. Yes. And uh, that real um big movement. But things are things are moving. And I know from what I see from a, a research perspective, um more and more people are looking into it. The research community is certainly growing and um the FASD conference that was held at Salford University this year in March. um, It's getting bigger. And that's what, that's what we want to see. It's not just the same 40 people in the room, you know, that, you know, we know all these people are working in this area. It's, it's growing.
0: Um, So that's, that's really, really positive. And that to me is a hope takeaway right there is that Mm -hmm. more people are hearing and listening. And, and it's not just the same people. Cause we joke about that in the FASD community, you know, when you're on a zoom or you're on something, it's usually the same people, the same parents, the same clinicians. So to hear that new people are coming in and, and being involved and wanting to learn more, that is wonderful. Oh my goodness. So Jessica, how can people get in touch with you through the national organization for FASD?
1: Yeah. So um, I, I, I have multiple hats, um, through within the National Organisation for FASD. Um, my details are on the website. There is a, you know, it's it's a big beautiful website, National Organisation for FASD, and yeah, outside of that, um, as as a researcher, um, I'll I'll leave my email address with with Natalie. I don't have a fancy website or anything, um, unfortunately, um, maybe one day but um, I have an email there's another address. call
0: to, there's another call to action <laughs> help us <is> build <golden, laughs> a, a lovely website for Jessica's oh I my know, goodness I, I
1: love that I don't think I could I don't think I could maintain it to be honest it's just <laughs> an email address I can I can manage just now
0: so we will be sharing information for for both ailsa and jessica um again in today's program notes and in this week's social media posts so i'm going to ask each of you first of all please come back in 2024 so we can update and talk about more progress and hopefully we can talk about how these programs are starting to get out there into the world like we want to Um, I'm going to ask each of you for a hope takeaway. Um, you know, many of our listeners are parents, caregivers, um, teachers, educators. What words of hope do each of you have for those listening out there that you're seeing progress, you're seeing um, improvement, and you're seeing uh, you're seeing what we need to see in the FASD community? So I'm going to start first with Jessica.
1: For me in this, in the, the very small area that I I work in, in the FASD world is I, I think it's, it's really reassuring to let people know that there are things there. There are programs that have been developed. Uh, there are resources that have been developed. There are physical resources that have been created. They are there. The next step now is to get them in, in the hands of the people that need them. And we are all working hard to do that, um, so I so I hope that, you know, soon all of these things will be in place and they will just aid everything that, that Elsa is teaching everybody to do
0: with these students. Love that. Love that. And Elsa, how about you? Oh,
2: um I have I have two. <laughs> I'm being greedy, sorry. Oh, not um, at all, please. <laughs> um from a from a, a kind of a Scotland point of view. And I would I would say that the same thing probably will happen globally, and um, because our because our child and adolescent mental health services um, are so overloaded, we're now seeing clinics start offering are going to start offering FASD diagnosis. And we know that that's very difficult to get. So the, the clinic that actually, um, that diagnosed my son with developmental language disorder is about to open, FASD um, diagnosis, um, lovely replace called Grow and Thrive. Um, so that will, I think that will start to happen um, because there's a need for it and more people pushing for it, more people advocating for it. Um, and I am seeing as evidence for the fact that I, I don't just work in Scotland. I, I'm, I'm about to go on a call with New Zealand. Um, th- there, there are more teachers, more educators globally who see the value in training and see the value in supporting these kids. And I have not spoken to an educator yet who, when they understand FASD and they understand what life is like for these kids on a day-to-day basis, will not bend over backwards to help that child. I think the gap so far has been them not understanding.
0: And that's what we're all doing in our parts of the world mm-hmm. is is getting mm-hmm. out there, sharing that information and yeah. letting people know that your voice makes a difference and that not only your voice, mm-hmm. but the voice of your child, the voice of your student, the, the voice of, of, your of, of, well. of, your, yeah. of your person. I mm-hmm. love that hope takeaway. Oh my goodness. Ailsa Clark. Of valiant minds, education and Dr. Jessica Rutherford. I won't stop saying that because I love saying that. Dr. Jessica Rutherford of National Organization for FAST. Thank you so much for being and and it just thank you for being you and what you both do, and thank you for being on FASTO. Thank you
1: very much for having us. Thank you so much, Natalie.
0: Thanks again for listening to FASD Hope with Natalie Becquione. Make sure you don't miss a single episode by liking and following FASD Hope anywhere you find your podcasts. Remember to be informed, take care, and always have hope.